Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Hotel Set. Whether it is your first stay with us or your returning patron, we want to welcome you into our conversation. What is it about hotels? They are both communal and isolating, luxurious at times, but also decrepit, a microcosm of culture and class. Over this four-part series, we will be taking a look at the world of transient living through a lens of pop culture. Set down your bags, grab a drink in the lobby, and enjoy your stay with us in this Pop Bonsai mini-series. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. I feel like I should have a little bell here. Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. How may I service you today? (laughs) Uh, I am Travis Ratz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, my bellhop in crime, Jay Castro. Say hello, Jay. Hiya. Now, I'm going to pull the curtain back right now, Jay. Okay. My blood is boiling. I can tell. Like, <laughs> My blood is boiling. It's very thinly veiled. This it's is going to be. I the, the what we're going to talk about today. I really love both the theme and the first part of what we're going to talk about today. But if it sounds like I'm talking about it very aggressively, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the theme or the actual pop culture content. And uh, for those of you who just joining us in this year first episode, we are the Pop Bonsai Podcast, and here on the Pop by Pop Bonsai Podcast, we kind of curate pop culture under the umbrella of larger themes. So we might do something on vinyl or diners, or um, we spend a whole episode talking about Greece and listening to the uh, Greece uh, soundtrack by Less Than Jake. So we try to take a big theme or an idea, and then we try to follow that idea over several pieces of media, whether it be movies or songs or albums or comics. We're kind of a, a grab bag here of of uh, pop culture-related content all under one overarching theme. And we're going to call a little bit of an audible here today, and we're going to explain to you something that we're going to be trying out. If you've been listening to the previous podcast, you know that in one podcast, we'll usually pick two or three different types of media to discuss our big theme. But what are we going to do now, Jay? What's our new, what's our, what are we going to experiment with? So, um, instead of trying to, to cram the, the two or three or, you know, uh, different types of media. What we're going to do is we're going to break it down and, and focus on the one th- uh, thing, the one, the one type of media with each episode. Like, um, you know, for example, when, when we did the werewolves thing, we did like a, a, a we talked about American world from London. We talked about Rick Baker. And so now we're gonna, on uh, werewolves. Yeah. For Halloween, which was really fun. And so, but, what we're going to try to do is just kind of focus on the movie, then focus on the article, then focus on the record for the theme. Mm-hmm. So now it's just going to be broken down into uh, two, three, maybe four different podcasts focusing on the one 
the one uh, uh, form of media. So, and we did this be kind of because you know we start off, and we usually start off, start start off talking about the larger piece, which is often a film, and we'll get you know an hour into that, and then we're like, oh, holy smokes, we got to talk about this album or this playlist or this comic, and sometimes those get shortchanged, and we don't want people who are tuning in to hear that specific piece of media talked about to feel shortchanged or shifted in any way. So that's kind of, kind of what we're going to be exploring with. So we've got some, uh, some themes on deck that we're going to explore over the course of a month, sometimes maybe even two months for larger specials and, and things like that. So, uh, today's theme, what we're starting off today, which will be a, uh, probably about a three part set is hotels. Hotels, yes. I love hotels. Do you love? Do you like staying at hotels? Do you like staying at hotels? I do like staying at hotels. Um, I, I I have been a traveler since I was a little kid. We travel every year, multiple places every year. So I've been staying in hotels my whole life. I wouldn't say I'm as expert as a businessman. I think those guys kind of take the cake as far as the most hotel experience. Um you know, where they have their preferred hotel customer, you know, cards and they get their benefits and things like that. But I've stayed in probably just about every type of hotel in dozens of different countries. And there's something about hotels to me are kind of like theaters in a sense that Mm. uh, they they have their they're all different but they have a overarching atmosphere and feeling when you come in uh, that uh, is a very kind of unique thing. I think it stretches across the world, across states. Uh, there is some commonality to hotel. And hopefully over these uh, couple of episodes, we'll be able to kind of hone in on what it is about hotels that makes them great makes them scary, makes them odd. Uh, and so I'm interested to talk about this with you. What what is your experience been with hotels? Um, I don't think I've been in hotels as much as you have. Uh, Jay, uh, no, you have not, okay? I know, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know, any, anybody other than Mick Jagger has, no, you know, no. surpassed you. And <laughs> But uh, I really like staying in hotels. Um, I have ever since I was a kid. Um, in fact, this may sound really stupid, but I enjoy just staying at hotels like maybe 10 miles from my house just because it, it, it kind of forces you to, to look at certain areas in a different perspective. It, you know, even though, yeah, I pass by this hotel every day coming to and from work or whatever, but I never see, I never, you know, walk down that street that it's on. I never frequent the restaurants that are right next to it. I never see it from uh, like a visitor's point of view. And, and for some reason, I, I, I enjoy that. That's a good point, it, especially in the sense of if you're traveling, if you're not just doing like a staycation in your city, but you're going someplace else. If you go to London and stay in a hotel in Soho, uh, you get a real sense of what it's like. You know, a, an apartment in Soho is, you know, 4000 pounds a month for a tiny apartment it's kind of like new york uh so you're never going to afford that but you can afford a night or two in a hotel that's in that same location and you can live that life 
this of the surrounding area for a night or two uh, and get that feeling. You know, yeah, uh, I'm yeah. never going to be able to afford to live in downtown Manhattan, but I've stayed in hotels in downtown Manhattan, you know, and I've I've walked out. I've, you know, woken up from like a nap at, you know, 1 a.m. and gone down and got a slice of pizza right there on the street and, you know, popped nice. into a local pub and and seen a live band that I wouldn't have seen. I wouldn't have traveled <clears throat> out to see or something like that. So there is something where hotels are very transportive, not just when you get into the hotel, but it, it is, uh, you know, central living in places you would never be able to afford to live right you get to right. experience life somewhat as a local for a brief period of time right 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 yeah. and nobody's the wiser you yeah know? there's something about uh that's kind of like the outside of the hotel when we talk about the inside of a, a hotel is um uh i find that with my personality i really love it um i love the the sense you know we're going to be talking about uh, a, a movie here in a second but you know everyone's so packed in close to each other and everyone is pretty transient i mean some people do staycations and most people are coming from other places so you have all these different cultures uh internationally you have all these different languages uh from families to single people from people there on vacation from people there on work from people there just to get fucked uh you have all <laughs> these different uh objectives uh, all under one roof, and it, it is communal, yet it's also very isolating in in hmm. in a hotel. You know, it's you're you're closer to more people than you most people actually are in their daily lives, yet you're very separated by oftentimes very thin walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think another thing what I like about the inside is is just the convenience of. You know, you're not responsible for picking up those towels that are, you know, or, or, you know, if you run out of soap, you don't have to go down to the store and get more soap. You know, you know, you leave and then you come back and just everything's replenished, you know, and that's, that's just something comforting in that. Do you feel you get sloppy in hotels, Jay? No, are you a sloppy sloppy hotel, Jay? No, (laughs) no, dude. I don't want my maids to hate me. You know. Did you ever hang out with your like your boys? You go like on a boys trip, like back in your early twenties, where you'd go to like San Diego or someplace or Vegas, and you had like five dudes staying in like a two bedroom hotel room. And there's always one or two that are just throwing their clothes everywhere. They're, you know, not throwing stuff away. Back in the day, you get a smoking room. They're smoking in the room, just throwing (laughs) their butts in like the the little toothbrush uh, uh, cups and things like that. Uh, There's the loud snore. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There are a couple of hotel rooms that I haven't trash trashed, but I have not given a shit about what happens in those hotel rooms. Uh You know, like I'll just like ash (laughs) On the carpet and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, I just feel like living that rock star life for a while, man. Yeah. Like, especially if it's, especially if the hotel room is kind of shitty when I come in there. If it's got a weird smell, if it's got stains on it, if I'm budgeting it, especially in my early 20s, um, I'm like, all right, I don't give a shit. Turn into Keith Moon in there. Yeah, yeah. I'm gluing stuff to the ceiling. (laughs) I'm throwing TVs out the window. Yeah, the TVs out the balcony. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we're going to talk a lot more about hotels, but I want to introduce our our film today. um, And that will kind of help us narrow in our first conversation on hotels. And that is the 
poorly received 1995 film, Four Rooms. Uh, four Rooms is an anthology film uh, in which there are four stories all centered around this hotel. It stars Tim Roth. The directors are Allison Anders for the first um story, The Missing Ingredient, uh, Alexandre Rockwell uh, for the second one, The Wrong Man, um, Robert Rodriguez for the third one, The Misbehaviors, and of course, Quentin Tarantino for the fourth one, The Man from Hollywood. Now, you know, you, you looked at me weird when I said this was a poorly received film. Uh, did you get did you you caught that, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It was, it currently has a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. What a thirteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and we'll we'll talk about we'll talk about some of this these reasons why. But when was the last time you saw this film? If you or have you seen this film? Dude, I saw it when it came out in the theaters, ah. and I haven't seen it since. So you were part of its only four million gross. Yeah, hey, I was part of the the uh, chasing Amy crowd theater crowd too. So yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but I thought it was fairly. Uh, uh, I thought it was people enough people liked it. I didn't know it was kind of universally panned. Well, I think the people who liked it. I mean, we're talking 1995. We're talking height uh, of 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 in 90s indie Miramax. Um, I mean, this is Lawrence Bender, you know, producing um, and. So this is the height of of 90s indie cinema where people were giving these movies a chance and where there was a market for these movies. So there were quite a few movies like this coming out in these kind of tones, these kind of garage band directors, um, very stylized, uh, odd mix of tones and genres and influences and... Uh, uh, this one didn't hit with the critics. It, the, the best the critics huh. say is they 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 thought that the Rodriguez and Quentin Tar- Tarantino ones were decent, but the other two were uh, fell far below the bar. Um, and <laughs> I think people our age group back then the high the high uh, the well I was in shoot middle school, but I don't think I saw this until I was in high school um, and college crowd were more accepting of the odd mix of tones and influences and the lack of maybe cohesiveness or climactic moments in the film, Um, which if you're looking for a a standard issue story, uh, I don't think this is going to scratch that itch. But it's an anthology, Jay, and I love anthologies. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think another thing that that people had a hard time with is there's a lot of things that that happen in each of these that feel kind of like a like you kind of did I just see that? Mm-hmm. Like, did I really just see that? Did that really just happen? Is that like you know, it's it's so fantastical. Well, it's you know, funny. And, it's funny you say that because uh, these stories are loosely based on Raul Dahl's adult fiction short stories. Uh, Raul Dahl, uh-huh. and you can see that certainly with the first one, which includes witches. Um, uh-huh. But uh, even the other ones are, are kind of loosely based around. Uh, I haven't looked up 
the actual stories are loosely based around, but that is in several sources, they say it's based around that raw doll thing. So maybe some of that magical, mystical, mysterious fantasy stuff, maybe that's kind of what they're, they're cluing into there is the raw doll aspect of it all. Ooh, the raw doll aspect of it all. Third album coming out this year. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like the raw doll aspect of it all, man. (laughs) <laughs> so the the movie follows if you uh, I'm guessing if you're listening to, if you clicked on this podcast and you saw four rooms on there you've seen this movie maybe it's been a while so refresher it follows Tim Roth uh, our our main lead uh who is a bellboy at a kind of a once glamorous Hollywood rock star movie star hotel that's fell on hard times. So you can see everything in the hotel was once glamorous and now it's kind of run down. It has an old school chicness and it opens up with Tim Roth being handed the baton of Bellboy from the aging Bellboy who does, who does warn him of all the things that he will encounter yeah. and not to get involved with them. That's about yeah, yeah. a 10 minute scene there, five minute scene. And then we go into just one story after another with a few minutes of interlude between the stories there. So let me ask you this, Jay. What about an anthology style film works or doesn't work when you're talking about a hotel? Like what works for that uh, an anthology film? Because we've seen like Lost in Translations, major set in a hotel, not an anthology film. Does the anthology film work for this larger theme of a hotel? I think it it very much works, um, especially in a hotel, because of the fact that it's one place and it's com- I, I, I'm not going to say this right compart- compartmentalized, mm-hmm. and you know in each room, each story is in a different sometimes a different floor, and it's very easy to wrap your head around something like that thinking, okay, well, this is a slice of life from this room, and this is a slice of life from that room, and and they're all in this movie that all take place in this hotel. So honestly, like, I can't think of a better setting, s- uh, setting to, to do something, a movie like this, than a hotel. Right. Um, you, you see that in a lot of anthology movies where they'll take one setting that has a dynamic range of micro settings within it, and they will show you these vignettes these snippets uh, of life and different characters and i you're absolutely right i think a hotel like we were talking in the beginning and one of the reasons i love an hotel, a hotel and what this movie emphasizes with its storytelling frame device is the fact that you have these wide diverse range of characters who would never be in the same vicinity of each other in ordinary life or under ordinary circumstances and they allow them to exist together and hotel is a microcosm of of class as well. You have yeah. class. I mean, they have penthouse suites, right? You have like the cheap rooms. You have, uh, you know, so there is not only a diversity in the types of characters and the people who populate a hotel and this film, but you also have diversity in the class of people who, who um, do the hotel. So, I mean, it's... It's a it's a real winner for telling an anthology story, in my opinion. 
Right, right. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you know, you have the, the, the sweets, you have like the, you know, everything, you know, the ocean view uh, uh, rooms, you have the, and steerage, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's what makes it really interesting is that, yeah, you, you do have all different kinds of people in this thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the, our our main character Tim Roth plays a uh, a bellboy in here, and we can kind of segue into talking about his performance. But uh, have you ever uh, have you ever stayed at a hotel that has these kind of old school bellhops, bellboys, a la Grand Budapest Hotel? Probably has has been the the film to, and as I mentioned, this film, the Jerry Lewis film, the bellhop. Um, but have you ever stayed in a hotel that has the old school uh, Wizard of Oz uh, monkey bellboys? <laughs> Not that they've worn like those little hats and stuff, mm-hmm. but I have stayed like in, in a resorts and in, in some resorts that as soon as you walk in, like three dudes with carts run and put your you know luggage on the cart and follow you to your room. Or oftentimes they'll find out what room you're in and they'll go up there first and unload your luggage. You know, uh, but that that's as close as I've ever got. I've never had like, you know, the guy in the little suit, little hat. Stuff. Do you think you could do that job? Do you think that is there, is there any is there any kind of romance in that job for you? Dude, you know, I am very respectful of people who are in the service industry, um, especially when they 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 do it right. When when you can tell that they have pride in what they do, you know, like uh, like Alfred or like a professional butler, professional, a professional service, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, serviceman, service person. Um, professional serviceman at your service, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, they, I respect that. Um, for, you know, it's, it's like they they're like product a craft. trade. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. You see that a lot in the Grand Budapest Hotel uh, where um, – you know they're training up the 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 bellboy, and there's a very almost militant um, discipline to it. Um, and yeah, right. Uh, all the the tasks must be done with precision, and and the actual performance of the task is does not suggest the amount of work behind it. You know, um, right. to them, you think of a bellboy as just someone who comes up, takes your luggage, and then they go and smoke a cigarette or like eat a ham sandwich. But they're they're when they're not in fate in front of you, they have a dozen other tasks that they're getting done. They're basically, mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know what the ratio would be on this night in this movie. He's the only bellhop in this uh, in this hotel, so he's yeah. doing everything. But I'm sure yeah. they hotels try to keep it one concierge one bellhop per how many guests are staying in the hotel. So you right. might be the personal butler to 60 people, or I don't know what, I don't know what the average uh, rate is there, but I think it's a lot more stressful than we think. It's not just about like, okay, get down here. And then you oh, yeah. move up and down the elevators uh, on, on that. So what do you think about Tim Roth's performance in this? I think it's one of the things that some, that's a controversial performance in, in, in this film. I found it some sometimes it was pretty funny and, and it made, made me laugh and sometimes it almost seemed a little over animated mm-hmm. like he just he you know just the way he moves is so like cartoony sometimes and, and his his 
tone of voice and especially like his facial expressions. They're so over the top. Yeah, yeah. You know, and even the way he walks and the way he turns around, it's so animated. But, you know, sometimes it's it, it works and it's sometimes it sometimes it, it almost takes me out of it. You know? Yes. It, again, I think it goes back to that Raw Doll kind of cartoonish aspect to it. They do kind of name check one of the influences maybe for his character with uh, Jerry Lewis is very Ju- Jerry yeah. Lewis. But I also see a lot of Mr. Bean in it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. As far as what's <laughs> you know, uh, it's all <laughs> you know uh, that naivete, right? That that right, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I I do love it when he breaks, especially in the like the third or fourth story, where he's like, "All right, listen up." So here's what's going to happen: if I stay for two more minutes, then I can take that money. All right, fuck it, let's do it. Right? You get that kind of. Almost like Pulp Fiction, uh, Tim Roth. All right, so I just do this thing, and then we're gonna do it right. And I oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. And part of me is like, I, I kind of want to see him do that the whole time. That that was one of my favorite parts was when when he's had it and he talk he calls the the hotel owner yeah. or the manager, which is played by Kathy Griffin, and he's sitting on the phone. Yeah, and he's just saying, "Look, this is what I'm gonna do." Yeah. Okay, this is what's gonna happen. I'm out of here. And... I don't give a fuck. Well, you can yeah, tell yeah. them to fucking whistle <laughs> off because I don't give a shit, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I don't even know what kind. It's not Cockney, but I love that that real street British accent. It's uh-huh. a it's a weird choice because I because the stories he tells about you know his babysitter with the uh, Vaseline over the eyes or when he's <laughs> um, in the uh, the wrong man room and he's talking about being like little Lord Fauntleroy and his mother dressing him up and sending him <laughs> to school. It, those stories make me think, Oh, why he's so weird. But then this under like, you like, how much is it of an, uh, uh, how much of this is an act? Uh, uh, and so it, it leaves a lot there. This, this qu- movie leaves a lot of unanswered questions, but that's okay for me. Do you know who was originally supposed to play this role? Uh, uh, no, no. Take a, take a, in, in the world of Tarantino, who do you think would be playing this role? Who was the first, okay. who was it first offered to? In the world of Tarantino. I'm not going to, uh, in the world of Tarantino. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Steve Buscemi. Correct. Really? Yeah. Wow. Okay, I was going to say, no, not Harvey Keitel. It's a different <laughs> movie with Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Harvey Keitel. <laughs> Harvey Keitel wouldn't put up with any of this shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's a different movie with Steve Buscemi in it. It's less cartoony oh, for, for sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The first, the only thing I think would maybe work better with uh, Steve Buscemi in it is the missing ingredient. Because he is so kind of like ugly or, or not ugly, but odd looking that I think that makes that scene work a little bit more that this beautiful witch has to has to sleep with a Steve Buscemi and then she ends <laughs> up being like falling in love with him. Right. Um, I think that works. So, all right, let's, you, why don't we go through the um, the the scenes here and what we can talk about the scene itself uh, and and what it kind of reminds us in a hotel. What's realistic about it? What's fantastical about it? Uh, but the first uh, uh, short is directed by Alice Anders, and it's called "The Missing Ingredient." And here we have a who's who of of recognizable uh, 
ladies from the uh, 1995, including Madonna in there, in a full-on cat suit. This is like that era Madonna. Madonna's looking good in this. Yeah. 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 I was like, okay. Uh, Takes place, it's a witchy thing, takes place in bright daylight, right? Everything is still bright in there. Um, A weird choice to start this film off because it has the hardest to pair tone yeah okay i see it compare with the rest of them because it, it does i mean at, at some point they do resurrect a dead goddess in the hot tub of the ho- hotel room yeah yeah which you see yeah. you see it happen oh yeah you see you it know? oh I let her look up. I was like, is this, is the woman who pops out of the hot tub? Is she in any other movies? And she's in like a couple, <laughs> she's in a couple, but nothing big. <laughs> I was like, good Lord, this woman is gorgeous. Um, yeah. So we have this in there. There's a few good jokes in this, in this one. Uh, we get to kind of see the bumbliness of our, our of our protagonists in there. Uh, the rhymes are really funny when they have to oh, come yeah, up yeah. with the rhymes. I love the fact that so they each like throw in an ingredient to resurrect this woman, right? And one of the ingredients, the last ingredient is this um uh woman who now directs a lot for TV. I looked her up too. I was like, hmm, let me look up this woman too. I basically looked up every woman in the scene. I was like, what else have they done? <laughs> <laughs> Topless four room scene. <laughs> Wait, was uh, the one in, in Big Top Pee Wee? Uh I think one the country the, like, one? Print. No, the French, the one that was... Ah, the one from uh, 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 Escape from L.A.? Oh, is that what she was in? She was in Escape from L.A. Uh, She was the one that Snake Plissken encounters, uh, and she dies when she gets to... Basically, I guess, would be the romantic lead for 15 minutes in that movie. For Snake has to deal with more loss in his life. Um But uh, she, so they have to, this, this woman, she gives her, uh, they all put in a little rhyme that fits their character, their archetype, their stereotype of the character. And the last one comes in and she has this, uh, you know, something to fill uh, the, the semen from my boyfriend, Bill. But, you know, and then she talks about, uh, I was hot uh, and, and so I swallowed, right? And I love the fact that, you know, they all the, they had their rhyme. She came up with a rhyme for having blown her part of the ingredient. <laughs> so yeah, she's yeah. sitting around. She goes, shit, I don't have my ingredient. Uh, they'll be super pissed off if I don't come up with a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I got to I gotta come up with a rhyme or else they're going to be really pissed off. Um, and I'll tell you what, though. I really loved in this scene is at one point, God, I want a whole film to be in this. It reminded me of that that artist that you sent me, that kind of pseudo-country artist you sent me a link to um, a couple of, maybe like a month ago. Uh, See the boys as they walk on by. Yeah. In, this, in this, this first scene, you, you take a look at a photo of the old goddess, and she's kind of in bondage X you know, like leather and whips and looking at the photo and the photo comes alive. Man, I love the film stock they use in that. It, it, it's very, you know, grindhouse and, you know, Tim Ross just staring at it with his expressions. And I thought that was a really fun mix of f- different film within a film. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah. really stood out to me. And I, that felt really punk rock to me. Um, yeah, it, it was cool. It was, it was, yeah, it was 
like it was gritty, you know. Yeah, I thought that was really neat. Uh, and then that takes us to uh, uh, oh, I can't wait to get to the uh, Marissa Tor- Tomei uh, interlude. Uh, <laughs> a, okay, so that takes us to the wrong man. Um, so uh, first one, uh, so the missing ingredient of the four, rank that one. First being the best, fourth being the the worst. Um. Oh, I think probably I have to say third, even though I did like it quite a bit. In fact, I enjoyed it more this time than I remember when I first saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm surprised because when I first saw it, there's a a couple of of key features in that scene that would have made me like that more in my red blood (laughs) teenage days than I would now. A couple uh, are like four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would say that this one uh, is fourth to me. On this watch, I say fourth. I say fourth. Uh-huh. Uh, good, still like it. I, I like all these shorts, but I would say fourth. Because uh, this next one, I think, which might have been previously fourth, I, I got. I enjoyed some of the things in The Wrong Man, directed by Alexandre uh, uh, Rockwell. Um, and in this one, uh, Tim Roth, he walks into the wrong room where a, it's kind of of tough to tell what exactly is going on in this room, but a couple is, I think kind of role-playing, uh, uh, um, a domestic hostage situation. Uh, and Tim Roth walks right in the middle of that and he has to uh, talk himself out of, uh, a, a dangerous, what seems like a dangerous situation where uh, a man is holding his wife at gunpoint tied up on, on a chair. Um, uh, standouts for you in this scene? Um, yeah, I... Uh, so I forgot what was happening here. But as soon as I kind of realized what was happening, it it kind of ruined it for me. Like you, they kind of let you in on it pretty kind of early on. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, Oh, is that what this going on? I'm like, Ugh. and, and so, I mean, I, I liked it. It was, it had some pretty, you know, decent acting in it. But as soon as I got let in on the secret, it kind of like, lost i kind of got lost i agree with you when he unmuzzles her and he tells her like hey you know like just play along with this and you'll be you'll be you'll be you should be safe uh and it takes away some of the tension uh yeah the the hitchcockiness they should have saved it to the end where the other guy walks in and just restarts it and then you can kind of think about it and be like huh wait was that uh right uh i will say that one of the reasons I really like this is the turn. There's a couple of things. One, that shot where he's half in and half out of the hotel. Beautiful shot. Oh yeah. 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 The, the colors, the warm, and then the, 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 the cold on that, uh, again, very, you know, like Buster Keaton, um, very physical, uh, comedy. Uh, but I will say, I forget, it doesn't come to my head right now. Uh, the actor, he was in Sopranos, uh, who plays the, uh, uh He's got a weird name. Uh, Siegfried. Siegfried in this scene. Um, When he and Ted uh, stop being enemies and start bonding, it's so adorable and fun. And when uh, the guy fakes like he's having a heart attack, Ted's freaking out. Uh, He goes in the bathroom. He comes back. uh, Siegfried pops up. And he's so relieved. Siegfried! 
And then the wife turns on them, and then now Ted's on Siegfried's side, and he's the look on his face, he's just like so offended, like, oh, don't say that about Siegfried. <laughs> so do you think the, the guy, do you think Siegfried upped the ante faking that heart attack without telling his wife? Do you think that, I don't think that was no. the part of it, right? No, 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 because he, she's like, you're an asshole. Yeah. And he's like, but you, I caught you, you... You, you know, you can play apathetic all you want, but you were really worried there uh, for a second. And then a nice third turn in that is that she goes in and doubles down on it. And that's the point where you get a little bit of that tension increase again. You're like, well, this was all fun and games. And now is it turning to something real? You don't really, you kind of, at this point, you feel like that he wouldn't shoot Ted because they, they did have that right. bond. Uh, right. But it is this short little scene does have a couple of turns, emotional turns in it. That would be really hard to portray as an actor. Yeah. 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 Really hard. It's weird. Hotels are a place where I wonder how much domestic abuse happens in hotels. Dude, why would you ask that? Have you ever, have you ever <laughs> so been in a, have you ever been in a hotel where like the the room next door where like you hear screaming and shouting uh, and you're like an argument? Pa- possibly, I yeah. think so. And you know what? You know, it's funny now that I think about it. I bet you that happens a lot. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because when people are on vacation, you know, I think it just. The unknown, maybe people are are, stre- are, are travel spending stress. more money. Tra- yeah, and, and drinking. people are more each other's throats. Yeah, may, yeah, yeah. Drinking, maybe even sleep. You know, loss of sleep. Jet I mean, lag. Yep. So people are on like on their last nerve, and I can see that happening quite a bit, actually. Yeah, it kind of happens in our next story a little bit too. Uh, but yeah, I I remember being in a hotel. In my early 20s, um, now I'm kind of ashamed that I didn't do anything, but I heard it was clear uh, we were, I forget where we were, but it was kind of same with a couple of buddies or some friends our age, and we just hear the people next door just like yelling at each other. We didn't hear uh-huh. any hitting or struggling. I think we would have called back the, uh, at that point, but we were like, you want to go to the bar? I'm like, okay. But like, it was clear, like just like screaming at each other, cursing at each other, and we we're like, holy smokes. At first, we thought it was the TV. We we're like, no, that's, that's the, you know. Uh, but we didn't hear any like gunshots or thumping or slaps or anything like that. You didn't hear Ray Liotta kicking the wall in. Yeah, come here, son of a bitch. Yeah, from our last week, that would that would get me out to the bars real quick. Um, <laughs> which is better than the other thing you hear in hotel is uh, next door sex. I've been in a couple where you hear that, and that's always awkward. If, yeah. if, you're, if you're with friends or like your partner, it's kind of funny. But when you're by yourself, it's awkward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See how, how loud you can turn the TV on. Yeah. Know? When you're by yourself, you're like, oh, this is kind of this is dark uh, or a little bit <laughs> dirty. But when you're with your friends, you're like, ah, oh, that's look at them, you know, like doing that and stuff like that. So um, plus, you never know when you're going to be that person. You know, you never know never when the know. tables are going to flip. So it uh, takes us to our, uh, uh, our, our, Tim Roth is a little rattled at this point, uh, but that takes us to our third uh, story, the Robert Rodriguez directed one, The Misbehaviors, Spy Kids Before Spy Kids, 
Uh, he, yeah. A lot of screen time for these two uh, young actors on here. Uh, Tim Roth is invited into a hotel room to babysit these two kids to this uh, uh, gangster-like father who is very imposing, very macho, and basically threatens Tim Roth with an inch of his life after paying him that if anything happens to his kids while they're on Tim Roth's watch, he is going to get it. What did you think about? Oh, sorry, you're the the wrong man. What do, what do you rank that? I have to uh, I have to write that fourth. Four. Okay, I'm yeah. going. I'm going three on that one. So the misbehaviors. Uh, initial thoughts on this one. I was really surprised, and um, I, I remembered this when I was watching it. That Antonio Banderas got su- got such s- a little amount of screen time. Um, he was that dude at that time was like on the sh- you know sh- he was like uh on the rise yeah. big time yeah you know he he was like you know w- going to be one of america's you know movie stars yeah. and yeah and, and he took a back seat to those two little kids yeah which was cool yeah you know he steals the scene in every shot he's oh, in dude, he's magnetic he totally, yeah he played it you know, he, you know, you couldn't tell if he was disappointed or whatever because he, yeah, he, he, he took it very seriously and yeah, he, he was really good in it. <laughs> that scene where he's got his kid's head back and he's brushing his hair and he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's got a cigarette in there. He's pulling that kid's head back <laughs> and he's like, you have your mother's hair and he's pulling it back. You're like me. Jimmy's he looks like. <laughs> you pull it back. You look cool with your hair back. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I looked at the little kid. And I'm like. This looks like what Jay might have looked like as a little boy. <laughs> it wasn't far from it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this kind of looks, he's got the cheeks, you know? And I was like, this could be a little Jay. <laughs> you have your mother's hair, Jay. She comes up to the side, make you look like a fool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Totally. Yeah. Those kids are great. Uh, the boy especially has these great expressions. I love when they're smelling each other's feet. Uh, and he's like, your feet stink, you know? <laughs> it's really like, I've had that conversation with my sister. My sister's been like, your feet stink. I'm like, my feet don't stink, your feet stink. You know, um, getting kicked in the face, oh, dude, that uh, was being awesome. left in a hotel room while your parents go out to dinner or grab a drink and you're, you know, you and your sister fight all the time anyways and now you're, they're sticking you in a hotel room and what do they think is going to happen? Someone's going to get kicked in the face. Right, right. Yeah. I, and you know, with, uh, when, another thing I thought was, um, really spot on was how as soon as his parents left, they wanted to do what they see their parents doing, which is drink mm-hmm. and smoke cigarettes. It's like the little, you know, Antonio Banderas always had, you know, well, he, I don't know if he always, but he had a cigarette in his mouth a lot. Yeah. And his little boy did, you know, wanted to do the same thing, you know, and he was just, you know, he had a cigarette in his mouth most of the time. Yeah. Which was pretty hilarious. I, I think that was pretty spot on. He wants to watch the nudie channels. The oh, yeah, yeah. being oh. like the leader. And that was Selma Hayek on, on the screen. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even notice that. Okay. All right. Yeah, it was in the credits. Okay, that's a nice little. You have that 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 really great shot. It kind of makes it more that fantasy is when Antonio Banderas and his wife are walking down the halls. They get in the elevator. He turns. He dips her this sexy Latin dip, you know, and kisses her. And you're like, I love that. I love the um, hyperbole of his character in there. Uh, and then you get to mm-hmm. see Tim Roth, 
uh, breaking out of his previous roles where he has been the the whipping boy and he gets to hold the whip in this. Yeah. And I love yeah. his turn. All right, listen up. All right. Oh, if you're good, I'll bring you. <laughs> he brings him crackers. We were all, so all out of cookies. <laughs> like trying to eat them. And then the story where he's like, okay, he's tucking him in, you know, he goes, okay, close your eyes. And he takes the Vicks vapor up and he's telling him this little story. He goes, now, when you said, when your father told you not to trust babysitters, he was correct. I had a babysitter and they put this stuff on my eyes. It's just, uh, apparently Robert Rodriguez actually, that actually happened to him when he was a child. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've never heard of that, but I'm like, oh, that seems pretty effective. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is pretty good good shit. So, and of course that all goes to shit when the kids discover the smell is not their feet but a dead hooker in the bed. And I love that. Awesome. I think it's it was, yeah. It's this is like this weird kind of dark uh home alone in a hotel. It's fun with the kids, but then it takes a dark turn where there's heroin needles. You know, when he's aiming that heroin dart at the and you see it hit <laughs> And you're sitting there. It it it's a really cool mix of of fun kid wildness that you would like if you were a kid watching, mixed with adult, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll. Uh, and I think that was a really fun way to do that scene. Um, oh yeah, dude that that took an all uh, 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 the segment which was already you know burning on all cylinders and when they found that dead you know it it like hit the nitrous yeah you know and just when you think it could get any worse you know and it just oh man it just punched it up a whole new level and it was it was so funny is that your number one you know what i think so yeah Yeah, i'm gonna go with yeah that's number two for me. It would be number three if we counted this next longer frame story as one of the five. Uh, one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Tim Roth calls up his boss and Marissa Tomei uh-huh. uh, answers the phone. Young Marissa Tomei yeah. answers the phone and he's explaining to her everything that's basically happened in the story so far. And she's just kind of stoned out on New Year's Eve just being, hey, Ted, what's going on? You got... You got fucked by an oven of witches? A coven! A coven of witches! <laughs> he goes, she goes, oh, okay, that, well, that doesn't seem too bad, Ted. He's like, actually, no, that was actually pretty good. I had a good time with that one. He goes, I don't see the problem here is, Ted. <laughs> yeah, a stoned video game playing. She nails it. She kills it. Like, she feels yeah, like she you. has that real stoned energy. And that takes us, of course, into the main course, you know, Quentin Tarantino uh, coming off of uh, Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction at this time, yeah. you know, um, and directing this short called The Man from Hollywood, which takes us up into the penthouse with himself and Bruce Willis is in there as well. And they're playing a little game uh, based on uh, a Alfred Hitchcock short, The Man from Reno. And in this short, you know, you have the the bet made between Steve McQueen and I forget the other guy, Peter Laurie, I believe. Yeah. Um, and where, you know, the you have to light the lighter 10 times if you don't chop off your finger if you do you get the car so they set this whole thing up over like the course of you know 15 minutes uh and of course at the end uh you know they it is very anticlimactic in the sense that he doesn't even get lit once and that finger goes um what did you think about this scene 
I liked that. I liked that the whole thing was so drawn out. You know, Quentin Tarantino loves to talk. And it was just kind of mundane things. You, you get to hear Bruce Willis fighting with his whoever, some sort of significant other on the phone. And, you know, and, and you talk about it. His friends are talking. You're like, is this going anywhere? And then as soon as they start getting on with it, it just boom, boom, boom. And then he's out of there. Yeah. You know, Uh I thought it really paid off that way. I think this whole scene, I love this scene. I people give I think people give Tarantino shit for his acting in this scene. I think he's perfect. I think he's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. I don't exactly. think people really knew who t- Quentin Tarantino was back then just cuz the lack of so many interviews and you know the ability of YouTube to like look up a bunch of in podcasts. Mm. Uh but he is playing yourself is hard. Dude, that's exactly what I was going to say. People think it's easy to go on there, and it's, but it's not. Yeah. And conveying, who, you know, be, yeah, be playing yourself correctly is, yeah, it's it's not easy, and it takes a lot of work, I think. Apparently, he was going to do it with a French accent, and they did like 10 takes at the beginning with a French accent, and he's like, I'm just too embarrassed, oh, I can't do weird. it. So he just played himself, and I was like, good choice, because that's who that is. There's that one fucking bubble left in this fucking bottle. Oh, yeah. You know how much this shit costs? No, you don't. Yeah. It's all free yeah. to you, you know? When you drink champagne, you say you drink champagne. champagne. When you drink Cristal, you say you drink fucking Cristal. <laughs> <laughs> you say you drink fucking Cristal. It's fucking good shit, isn't it? Yeah. Now, Ted, I'm going to make two piles here for you. All right? Uh, it's, it's got everything. It's, 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 it's a micro class in, like, Tarantino writing, right? He takes... Uh-huh. So he's talking about a Hitchcock movie. He's building, he's putting a twist on Hitchcock suspense, right? Um, building it all up and using movie history to explain to you this kind of thing in only a way Quentin Tarantino can do. And you are pumped. I remember when I first heard about this concept, I'm like, what a cool concept. And yeah, yeah. I don't think there's one time I've had times in my life when I've used Zippos just because I thought it was cool, but then it's such a pain in the ass filling with lighter fluid and the Zippos <laughs> doesn't light. But when I get a good working Zippo, I would, I would test myself. I'm like, can I like this 10 times? Can I like this 10 times? Would I win that car? You know? Um, and I just love it. And they're in this small hotel room, but they make it feel really large. It's a penthouse suite, yeah. but because first they go uh, over to the main room. Then they go over to, hey, leave the twine, leave the nails, bring the rest of the shit over to the bar. Then we're over at the bar, and that's got a nice little setup there. Um, so there's like three locations within this room that, that make it feel cool. You know, it's, it's like, what does Quentin Tarantino do better than anyone else? He just makes it feel cool. The dialogue is cool. The energy of the guys is great. Bruce Willis comes in. Bruce Willis actually did this for free. And he got in trouble with SAG. SAG's like, you can't do this for free. You have to take credit with this movie. He was going to do it for free and just not take credit. And that's not how that works with a SAG union, you know? Freaking um, unions. And so that that caused a little bit of uh, 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 ruckus. But he, I think Bruce Willis is great in this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, again, I think, I don't know. It seems like maybe he kind of sort of played himself. <laughs> yeah also yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You know? yeah 
Yeah, the only weird. one that, in this whole scene that I didn't really care for was Jennifer Beals. I didn't care for her in her other scene either. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I thought like I just she's kind of going for this like dead eyed character, this you know city worn, you know seen it all. Um, she seems like uh, we're talking about hotels, like someone who's unaffected by the 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 madness and the wonder of a hotel um of it all um maybe even maybe even implied that she's maybe a hooker and if we look back at that previous scene could that could a uh, Siegfried be just a regular customer and he's role playing with her i'm just thinking about this now and then when he's like ah so you do care and he's like fuck you you know like and then that's how you know she travels up i guess she maybe she does say like i think Siegfried's i don't know but she has she has the disposition of of a professional who's just unaffected by the chaos. Yeah, doesn't give shit there. anymore. Yeah, because they did say that like, oh, and and this is our friend so and so. We just met her by the pool this afternoon. Yeah, you know, so she's hanging so. out by the pool. You know, um, yeah, yeah. If that's the I like I if that's the if she was gonna play it like that. It would have been. I think that would have worked more if they had maybe hit that on those a little more. Like, okay, she's kind of this maybe. dead to the world kind of streetwalker uh, woman. But when I when I watched this movie in uh, when I was a teenager, I really people don't like this this the score, the soundtrack to it. A lot of it is done by this band named Combustible Edison. Have you ever heard of Combustible Edison? No. Combustible Edison does this kind of lounge music, uh, but they also bringing a lot of like surf style uh look them up on, on spotify here's that main track here's that main track that's in here that plays and this course ends the movie right he chops off the finger you have that one shot of the hotel room and then he just has a little walk on and this song is playing while the audio <laughs> of bruce willis and all of them are playing over it yeah fumbling around yeah and i love that I listen to them a lot when I just write because you can kind of ignore it. Um, but it's mm. this really elevatory, you know, hotel a elevator sound, but it's still got enough kind of surf tiki-ness to a lot of their stuff that makes it feel poppy, like um, 1960s culty. Uh, uh -huh. I think it's a great score for, for uh, that movie. Well, I saw uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo's name in the credits. Mm. Uh, like, like the music was produced by Mark Mothersbaugh. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I, I started hearing a lot of these eclectic songs, and I'm like, oh, he's got something to do with this yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. I know Combustible Edison is probably about, about three of their tracks on there, and of course they get that lead track, that it's almost like that 1960s era Madman music. Uh, oh, right. Uh, for sure but in there at the hotel and i think that that captures it feels very hotel and at the same time very kind of cult movie ish and also very 90s and we got to talk about the animation at the beginning of that movie how do you feel mm. about movies comedies that start with animation it's cool i love, I love it, it. Yeah. it it's very it, it almost it just there's something old-timey it reminds me of like the opening credits of like bewitched or like panther, i dream of genie yeah, or yeah. yeah or yeah pink panther right yeah or Christmas Vacation. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, guess yeah. so. I because when you're a kid and your parents take you to a movie like Christmas Vacation or something like that, and they start with a cartoon, even though it's or, not or a or Grease, yeah, Grease. or and it's not a kid movie, you you're like, oh shit, something for me. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, know? maybe that's what it is. Yeah. And then with that score underneath it, it feels I don't know when I when I, I didn't watch the movie in a couple of years and when I, when I put it on, I was like zoom in, zoom. I'm like, oh shit! Like I gotta get a drink. This is fun. This is a fun movie, Jay. Yeah, it, yeah it's zesty. It makes it, it's like you know that's the only way I can describe it. When zesty. We, when we talk about hotels, and I think we're gonna hit on this in a. a, a, a the second and third part of our set is that hotels can be like this fun kind of wacky place, but they can also be like darkness, right? There is a darkness and a loneliness yeah. that uh, is in a hotel. It's, it, you know, hotels are kind of like these portals to adventure, but the portal itself can have some cobwebs in it. Um, and so I think we're going to be talking about that in the next couple of sets. Uh, we're going to be looking at, um, Hotel California, the song, uh, and we got a comic book on here that is set place in a hotel. Uh, but we're gonna get to that in a little bit. Four rooms. Final thoughts. Anything else that stood out to you? Um, just again, um, the unpredictability of a lot uh, of these stories. I think um, really made it for me. I mean, so some of the stuff that's so, but that was so bizarre to me, like uh, that part where, when we're talking about um, in, in the first segment, I forgot what it's called. I'm with the witches. Uh, the missing ingredient. Um, there was a part where Ioni sky um, when, when you, t- when you said that she, she messed up and, and swallowed um, instead of keeping the, you know, the, the Seaman, dudes. Jerry. Semen, yeah, Jizz, yeah. Cum, I forgot what batter, to, not to sound batter. crude, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were—they all expressed their their anger and frustration. And one of the witches breathed fire, fire. and I'm like, "That's awesome," <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, and and a couple other weird things happen like that, where you're like, "Yeah," you're like, "Did that just happen?" Um, so. That's the kind of thing that I was talking about that was that was that made this movie uh yeah it was set in in reality and it was it was grounded in in re, in the here and now but weird crap like that happened. Why do you think yeah. that it got a 13% on Rotten Tomatoes? Why do you think that critically this wasn't a success? Because I think people had a hard time digesting all the different tones and the and and so you had something like the missing ingredient which was dark and yet it had jokes like madonna telling her girlfriend they were having this conversation and her girlfriend which is way younger than her looks at her and says hey don't tell me what to do i'm not your mother and then she goes well why are we sleeping together then you know or something like you know there was there was so many stark contrasts. You had humor with like a dead uh, uh, heroin addicted prostitute. You had Tim Roth acting all goofy in front of these. I think there, especially back then. I think if this were to come out now, I think people might look at it a little bit different. Um, but I think back then, I think people had just a hard time trying to put together all these different tones and and feelings that that was going on and i, I don't i think people like stuff a little bit more uniform conventional yeah know? yeah yeah when you think about when you think about film prior to this 
um, you think you you think of films that have taken unconventional t- tones, but they're consistent with it. And this one, I think that is the I think that is the beauty and freedom of an anthology film, though, is that you can pop around to different tones. Yeah. Um, and if this was an anthology film written by you know one person, that would change things because you would feel there would be a subconscious feeling, even if like, this is a funny one, this is a dark one, like the way you see when, you, when you're reading a collection of short stories by the same author, like a Ray Bradbury collection. You know, he's got some joyous ones and he's got some creepy ones and some sci-fi ones, but underneath there's yeah. a Bradbury-ness to it. But when right. you give it to four different auteurs and four different auteurs who are pretty much in like their sophomore year of filmmaking, you know, like they, they only have yeah. like two or three films out. And so they've got a lot of different influences and they're, they're it's probably pretty competitive, you know, um, as far as like, no, this is my stamp. This is my thing. And so making, you know, how our auteurs are, they're like, this is mine and it's going to reflect who I am. And so if they're all for doing that, stringing it together can be tough. And I, that's why I don't think people give Roth enough credit because Roth has to, has to find the through lines between these four disparate pieces. And I think maybe one of his choices to go full like Mr. Bean with the limited amount of talking is to, I'm sure that's in the script, like the, how much he says, or it doesn't say, but by being a cartoon, you're more pliable to the different situations than you were. If you were like a Steve Buscemi, like think of Steve Buscemi's character in ghost world that we did. If you took like a character like that, his personality, because it's so specific, is going to change the tone of each of those, right? For sure. He, the character will change the tone, right? In this movie, the rooms change the butler, change Tim, Tim Roth, right? When he's in the witch's yeah. room, he's kind of this lovey-dovey, like, puppy looking at it. When he's in the, uh, <sighs> uh, the, uh, the wrong man room, he's this, like kind of assertive listen here missy you know and then in the uh he gets to take control again the misbehaviors in the man in hollywood he's kind of like back into being a butler like anything else i can do for you well you know um and so the rooms become the star as opposed to mm. tim roth i don't think anyone looks at this as a tim roth movie but it really is a tim roth movie oh for sure uh, for sure you know? i i totally agree because um, it, the, the the stars of the film really are the rooms themselves. I guess the stars of the film yeah. are the directors, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that a, a lot of care was put into that. Because here you have someone like, you, you know, because Bruce Willis was in the credits. Madonna was in the credits. Um, you know, and, and you, you expect to see in the credits, Bruce yeah. Well, yeah, but you expect to see someone like Bruce Willis a lot more, but you kind of don't. Yeah. You know, you expect to see Madonna a lot more. Antonio Banderas a lot more. Right, right. You know, those names, those are the marquee names, but, you you know, it's almost like they purposefully put them in the back, you know, on the back burner um, so that they don't overshadow these, these, their signature pieces, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, I think this is. I think this stands out to me as a unique piece. Um, I I think there's 
a, a good following to this film. I think people who like this film really like it. I'd put it in my top 100 films, probably somewhere around in the 80s. Um, but yeah. I just, for it, as a piece where you're like, oh, this is what four different directors can do within one story and how they string them together. Um, and again, I love the setting of the hotel. I love the set of this, the old dilapidated hotel. The re- I would stay in that hotel in a heartbeat. It looked dope. Right. Yeah, the old switchboard. Yeah, I love the, still. Right, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I love that part with the switchboard when he has, actually has to take it off and plug it back in, and all the different individual rooms yeah. and stuff. That was awesome. Yeah. So we're gonna continue on with our uh, hotel uh, themed pop culture uh, in our next couple episodes. So stay tuned in for those for part two, which we're gonna be talking about uh, the 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 number one Eagles song. Uh, Hotel California, and I will say this as a little as a little snack fact. Here's a little snack fact for you, Jay. Um, Oh, flash fact. Yeah, a little uh, room service for you here to hold you (laughs) off until the next episode. It's I found on a couple of sites that how many times do you think the Eagles have played the song Hotel California live? Oh my gosh, I would expect. Thousands? (laughs) Thousands? <laughs> yeah, close. One thousand thirty-eight times is what I said, and that's not an exact figure. But the last time that someone assembled it was a thousand and thirty-eight times. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yep. All right. Well, we're gonna have. To, I might by by the time we do this episode, I might have listened to this song about a thousand thirty-eight times, <laughs> and I'm going back from liking it to not liking it. I don't know, Jay. My head's gonna explode. So if you want to hear our thoughts on that song as we break it down, we break down the lyrics, the lineup, uh, how it relates to hotel culture, all about California, then... The mythology. There's yeah. a lot of mythology, too. Yeah. So mystique. Yes. Mystique is yes. what I meant to say yes. about this song, yeah. Yeah. So uh, tune in on the next episode of the Pop Bonsai Podcast. I am Travis. Across from me is Jay. And we will see you on the next Pop Wave. Banzai!